Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We've been on a break this week, so there's no games to talk about. But here in the depths of winter, we're still coming back to keep you warm with our hot, hot takes. With that great introduction that I definitely didn't record three times out of the way, I'm going to introduce my co-host for this week. He's waiting on a bartender in February like a wife waiting for her husband to come home from the war. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you doing this week? I'm good. Well, one last week of sobriety before fucked up February. You just going to like ease yourself back in or are you going to like blackout drunk and like accidentally get married to someone else in like Las Vegas? Oh, yeah. How are you going to approach it? I'm probably taking uh, Thursday off work. Seriously? No. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> um, My job's not that hard. I can be extremely hungover. <laughs> Next up, we have my other regular co-host, who's definitely not worried about sobriety. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing this week? I'm great, and I can function like this. Why should I worry about sobriety? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, you can pass it. You can pass a, pass a breathalyzer. It's the other stuff that you've got a Absolutely. problem. Absolutely, and you know, look, I I really enjoy winter sports. What can I say? <laughs> And also this week, it is a special guest. It is it is an alum of Wheeler Dealer Radio. He is currently gearing himself up for No Math March. It's Michael Cayley. Michael, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Ah, it's great to be back. This is always fun. We've been uh, talking for like an hour and a half before we got started, naming people who are in movies. This is <laughs> like always a left. good time. <laughs> Michael, we need before we really get into this week's podcast. I think we had a we had a very productive and not at all uh, repetitive conversation last week about what manager at Spurs do you hate the most. Uh, so I want to get your take on this from your time as a Spurs fan. What manager do you feel like has personally done you the most harm, emotionally, physically, you know, whatever, however you want to categorize it? I still hate Sherwood the most. <laughs> I, I, I just he was so dumb. Like, the game would happen, the things he would do were stupid, then he would talk about them incoherently. Like, at least with, like, Mourinho and Conte, I knew what they were doing. I didn't like it, I didn't like, and then, and like, were they mean to people? Yes, but so was Sherwood, he was also terrible to people, there was, like... Nothing like you could pull things out of Mourinho and Conte. Conte gave us some good things that were like, okay, that's something. That's something. This was just like nothing. It was just this like that's not true. Dead he gave thing. us Harry Kane. He gave us Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> now that's that's an interesting perspective because you know uh people on blue sky in particular are very angry that uh we gave short shrift to tim sherwood and i would presume that we're not carbon neutral but um <laughs> i it was interesting sort of thinking back on the conversation after it was over we really seemed to focus more i think what you really all landed on conte the most because i think it had much more you know sort of why i hate 
uh, ABB so much, which is it's it's about like raising expectations and then having them all like come crashing down. You know, it's like demonstrating you give us something and then hurting us. Is I think that's where we all landed, or at least by and large, last week. Yeah, it's totally reasonable. That I had a, if emotionally, it, it, it's it's the other one. I don't know. I just couldn't hate like a Make a Wish kid running a football <laughs> team. Like it's just. Dude clearly has no business there. It's like a horse driving a car. It's like, what are you doing? This is silly. It'll be over soon. Hopefully with limited But the horse casualties. is an asshole. <laughs> but, but I think that, that is a thing about, at least for me, that is a little mitigating about Sherwood is like within about a month, I think there was like a month and a half, maybe two months, I can't remember exactly, where it was like, oh, maybe he's good. Maybe this is going to work out. Maybe he'll get the job next year. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> no. It, was like, it started okay. He wanted Old Trafford. But it was like by the middle of January, it was like, okay, we're just riding this shit out till the end of the season, and then we're going to hire best, a real manager. So, you know. Best win percentage of any Spurs manager ever. <laughs> <laughs> Second to none, baby. Second to none. <laughs> Got the Tim Sherwood bot on the uh, so someone should make an AI of the Tim Sherwood bot and just have it pop up in the uh, in in the podcast. Yeah, chat LED. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to kick this off because um, we don't have a specific game or really a particularly juicy piece of news to chew on um, to start this off. I want to just you know, Michael, we haven't had you on. I think this year uh, certainly it's been a while since we had you on. Just I want to start with how are you feeling about Spurs season? How do you feel about where we are right now? Yeah, I mean, I feel great. Like, you know, we got a lot of points. I don't know if anybody's looked at the table, but like, you know, <laughs> we're in that we're easily we're in in the top 5 group with a pretty lit big gap down to 6. There's a fairly good chance the top 5 are going to get Champions League this season. Even if it's top 4, we're like, you know, what, 50-50 with Villa or something like that. Like that, that, that's amazing. That's a great place to be. That's very, very likely to have Europe next season, all these sorts of things. Like, and then on top of that, you know, I love Ange. I think, I think this is what I talked about with you when we was on the podcast the first time talking about Ange is just that like, I, I am so invested in him as a person. Like, and, and I am still, we have seen a lot of good things from his coaching. Clearly, he can get players to play in a style, which I think is a really, really good sign for what he can do in the future. Um, he needs to get these players to play in a way that doesn't lead to conceding goals all the time, which is, you know, things to work on. And so, like, the quality of play has been very much up and down, and the, you know, the chances and conceded have been constant and even when we were fit like so we haven't played great but we've played good interesting football that has a very distinct style while he's brought in the right players he's made the right picks and enough bounces have gone our way and Vicario is magic so we are in this amazing place that's really really good but like exactly how good it's going to get I don't know but I'm just like so deeply committed to Ange and hoping that it works out. Amen. Who is who from your perspective, Michael, uh, from your position of stat nerdery and uh, just general sort of, you know, putting putting a wet blanket over everyone else's party. But who what what new player at Spurs have you been most impressed by this year? 
I mean, well, I mean, I could say Vicario because Vicario has been our best player this season, I think, pretty clearly. Like, so that's amazing. But also what Vicario does is he, like, jumps to the side very quickly, which is great. It's a very, very important skill in soccer, but it's not, like, that interesting to me. Whereas Destiny Udogi, like, who I think that if anyone had, like, a, you know, points above replacement for soccer, he would be nowhere close to Vicario, who would be, you know, number one with a bullet. But Udogi coming in as a sort of overlapping wingback type and showing that he can play this incredibly bizarre fullback role and be a defensive stopper that we need because everyone is up the field so much and be involved in, you know, being the guy who receives a pass from the central midfielders just outside the penalty area. Like, all of the things he's shown that he can do at his age, plus his defensive skills, are really impressive. Speaking of of our fullbacks, Michael, is there another fullback you'd like to apologize to? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one who this podcast brought to Tottenham Hotspur. Pedro Porro, it turns out, can also do those attacking things. And so instead of being a guy who, like, can put in crosses, he's a guy who can create in the final third, which is a very different and much more valuable skill set that he that he's showing, which is fantastic. And then he's also, like, he's, like, still, like, top three, top four in tackles interceptions per 90. He is, you know... That's again, that was just not something in his statistical record. It was not something in what he did for Antonio Conte. And now for Angie's just doing it. He's still like sort of dubious at the back when he's really having to defend in a back four. But he does so much defending in the press and in the open field that I think that ends up uh, netting out positive. It's all. Yeah, he's been fantastic. Do you think there's something with if you look at Pedro Porro? Do you think there's something to be said for, I feel like maybe because we're just coming off of Conte, this is kind of in, predominantly in my head with him where it's like, there's just this expectation that guys come in as like the finished product or some version of the finished product. And there's not any sort of like willingness to coach up or like make guys adapt. Or is it just like, Ange has done a magic trick with this guy this year. Slash, he walked into a really bad situation last season. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, this is a guy who, again, he was a over... He was even more than Udogi. He was an overlapping wingback. And he ran to the, the penalty area and he put crosses in. He was very, very good at it. But, like, that's a very limited skill set. And we targeted him because Conte wanted someone who would run to the penalty area and get crosses in. And it turns out that, like his technical ability would play and he had this, he had plus speed and all of that, all of that worked out. And like, I I mean, like, I think we got very, very lucky that it happened that these two guys that we picked up also had a set of skills that could work in, in, in Anja's system, which is just totally different. And yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, it's striking that like Jed Spence, and Ryan Sessegnon and, and these guys, he's just like, no, these guys suck. Get them out of here. And like, he's been so mean to these guys because there's a very specific set of rules. He's not saying I can train Jed Spence up to be a wingback. He's saying, no, this doesn't work. I need a very high level on a set of skills that Poro and Udogi are giving him and that 
Royal is able to give him enough that it works. It's it's funny because you look at um you know he talks about like I need to have a phone conversation with every you know player make sure they want to be here to see that they're committed or whatever. And I think like you know if he wasn't our manager even before the season that sounds a little like all right like whatever. And then like you see like the difference between like you were saying like a Jed Spence versus like a Pedro Poro and we don't know entirely what's going on at every level there. But I think you can see the difference, and I think you can see why the whole, like, I want to see if you're committed, I want to see if you're willing to work at it and do th- do the things I ask. Like, I mean, it seems like there is some level of importance to that. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure that is going on. I was saying it the other way. I think he just knows ball. I think he looks at these guys, he's like, no, they can't do it. And he, and he <laughs> watches what, 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 uh, what, what Udogi and Poro can do. It's like, oh, this will work if I take them and put them here. I, I think I think that's the thing that he's been able to do, which is again a really really positive sign. Well, certainly there. I think maybe one of his underrated strengths is how quickly he's willing to sort of push eject on something that isn't working. Like, oh, that formation's not working. That's you know this player can't do this. Like, I mean, I think it's you know I, I think one of the most impressive things, which is going to lead us into a sort of different tenor of conversation on him, is just how unwilling he was to use Eric Dyer all season. It was like, no, this isn't going to work. I don't care how experienced he is. I don't care what his standing is in the club. Like, no, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, he did that. And he's seen his 40 time. Yeah. 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 This guy, this guy, this guy can't, this guy can't cover Travis Kelsey. Like, why would I put him in a soccer game? Like, what are you talking about? I had him do a three cone drill. He didn't even understand it. I mean that kind of speed plays in like the Big Ten, but like in the Premier League, you know, it's not it's not going to work. They're like, good for you at Iowa, buddy, but not <laughs> not here. Yeah, LSU is going to get those wide receivers out there. Uh, uh-uh, uh, not going to happen. Uh-uh. Absolutely. Let's talk about <laughs> let's 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 transition into more current topics. And I know we just were kind of mean to him, but let's talk about Eric Dyer because we kind of like every Spurs podcast I listen to forgot to like talk about him at the end of last week um so let's talk about him um now uh eric dyer has left us for bayern munich um it's a loan with an option to buy but the important thing is he's not coming back to spurs um yeah i don't know eric dyer is a weird player in terms of legacy because i think he was a very important cog in probably at least as of right now the most successful period in modern spurs history but he also like he was he was never the best player in his sort of in the defense, and I don't know he just became much more like it, it became much more about like people's ideas of Eric Dyer later on. He's a very weird player I think to contextualize because he was very important, but then he just became very controversial in a strange way. Ben, I'll start with you. Like, what are what are your feelings on Eric Dyer as he leaves the team? <sighs> I have complicated feelings about Eric Dyer, the person, which really colors my feelings of Eric Dyer, the player. And, you know, I think the early days of Eric Dyer were like, he and Delhi were like the face of Spurs social media. Their bromance was like such an integral part of, you know, the proto vibes FC era under Pochettino. Um, you know, the, the good feelings around just seeing them palling around and playing Mario Kart with Sonny and what, you know, like that is such a, such a foundational feeling to that era. Um, you know, I think it took a while to figure out what he was going to be on the pitch. 
Um, but when we did, it was, you know, surprising as a defensive midfielder. And those, I guess, what, year and a half before we got Wanyama, um, you know, when he was playing with Dembele was phenomenal. Like he was, excuse me, <coughs> I'm coughing. I'm not getting choked up. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and then when we finally made him a center back, it was with very mixed results. And once Dembele left in midfield, it was, you know, it kind of fell apart for him. And, you know, we got a bit of a renaissance in his, you know, last year with Conte, which was nice for him. But, you know, outside that really peak period, he was never that important a player for us. Um, You know, I think he was just a touchstone to a, a fond memory that, you know, it's hard to start to see the back of everybody who was part of that Pochettino Spurs. You know, we've got Sonny and Ben Davis left. So that's like the sadness for me of Eric Dyer is not so much what he was on the pitch, sort of like more what he represented about an era that I will feel sad about. Um, But, you know, the flip side of that is seeing him, you know, talk about Joe Rogan's podcast and, pal around with Dave Portnoy. It was just like, I was so fucking sick of him and seeing like, <laughs> especially as a non-contributor, it was just like, why, why am I having to like, listen to this person? Um, that is a shame because, you know, of because of all the nice things that I said before that. So I don't know. I wish him well. I hope he, you know, gets his head on a little straighter and uh Yeah. Well, it's head nope. shaped like a Lego, so presumably that shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> Brian, what were your what are your feelings on Eric Dyer as he leaves the club? Yeah, I, I think my sentiments about him kind of echo Ben's. Um, you know, I I think he has some some good moments and everything, but I think like a lot of his time at Spurs is colored by like he's just was never he was never even the best player at any of his positions. Uh, during his entire time here and like you know like Ben said he had that good one and a half year or so run in the midfield with Dembele but you know I think probably we could have played most anybody with Dembele and it would have been fine at that stage Um, we know who's doing the heavy lifting no yeah but say what you want like he couldn't figure out how to use Dembele the year before that and then he put him together and I I know it wasn't because of Eric Dyer but like it kind of worked and you know once we did that yeah, no, it it did, and I I don't want to diminish you know the role that he he played in that system, but like you know it was it was not because he was a particularly excellent player. It was more just down to he was more tactically disciplined than the guys that we had played there, um, you know. And then and then as time went on, you know, we bring in uh, Aldevarelde and Vertonghen, who are both better center backs than him. I think you probably argue at times that Davinson Sanchez was a better center back than him. Like, you know, it, it I don't know. I, it, it, it all really, especially went downhill for me with uh, him running into the stands to like defend his brother thing. Like that was just such a weird moment, especially after a game where we'd played like such shit too. Um, so like, I don't know. I, he was a good servant, and like he didn't make a lot of noise when he wasn't playing, and you know he's gone now. And I'm I'm not that sad about it. I guess like good. I'm I'm not. I don't know. He's fine. 
Michael, you look like you have very important Eric Dyer opinions to offer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not too much. It's just weird looking back over his career that how young he was when he got when we signed him from Portugal, and he suddenly comes in and plays like twenty five hundred minutes, three thousand minutes at like twenty twenty one, twenty two. Like that's a guy who's on a real path to something, and. I mean, he had that, like, appendicitis where he, like, yeah. didn't recover. And I, I always wondered if there was, like, some – that, that like, some, it just never quite got his all of his athleticism back. I don't really know. It, it, it's a weird career because of how good it was that early and how eh it was since then. Um, but, like, yeah, I, 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 I mean, have some fond memories of him. He was a guy who played for Spurs a bunch when I watched lots of Spurs games. And I'm like, I hope he, you know, wins or doesn't win a title at Bayern, you know? <laughs> he's he's a very strange player when you sort of look at his career. Because it was, I, I want to say, like, if you divvy up his Spurs career into two halves, like the first half, it's very, like, you could put him anywhere in sort of a defensive position, right back, center backs um, in the midfield as sort of a defensive midfielder. And he would do a good to passable job, especially in an emergency. And it was really useful and really, you know, very productive. And, you know, like, I think, like, that Pochettino team really kicked on. I remember us all, like, discussing. We were, like, reading the tea leaves and friendlies and closed-door friendlies. Like, because we, I remember, I remember our writers room joking, like, we should put Eric Dyer in midfield. Because he's not, he's, like, fine as a center back, but he's not great as a center back. But, like, put him in midfield. And they started doing it, and we were all freaking out because it was this, like, weird idea we had. And, like, you know, like Ben talking about Bentelet being a left back. We didn't think anyone was actually going to do it, but, you know, we did. And, you know, for the first half of his career, it was always useful. He wasn't always, like, maybe your best option, but it was always useful. And then I don't know if it, like, I, I can't remember exactly if it coincides with the appendicitis or whatever, but it just became sort of the same version of that, but he just wasn't very good in whatever position it was in. So it was like wherever you stuck him in, right back, center, mostly center back at that point in his career, it was just like not good enough. And he had that weird, like Ben was saying, that like six months sort of renaissance under Conte that got him in the World Cup team, I think. Was it the World Cup or the Euros? But um, got him back in the England national team. And it was like fine, but he just became this sort of strange sort of blank slate that a lot of people sort of wrote their opinions about Spurs onto one way or another. Like I remember Brian mentioned the incident where he went in on his, went in the stands to protect his brother. And I remember there was this like day long period where people were like, Oh, well he's talking about Delhi. So some guy was like throwing racist abuse at Delhi and he was going in to protect Delhi. And it just became this, like everyone just sort of like writing their own opinions onto him, whether he was like, worthless addition to the team or like their their idea of like what a footballer should be because he was like you know seemingly more well-read than your typical footballer more continental than your typical english player like you know he speaks multiple languages even you know um who is it fresh Uh, new wave cinema yeah yeah but like (laughs) van de ven talked about like van de ven who a guy who was definitely coming here to take whatever semblance of a job he had left like he talked about how much you know, uh, Dyer helped him settle. So, like, he was clearly a good guy, but it was just, like, I think he was also emblematic of, like, the type of player at Spurs who just wasn't moved on. And I'm not even talking about, you know, like, when we could have sold him United for $50 million, but we didn't. And, you know, most Spurs fans, I'm guessing this podcast, was very happy when we didn't sell him to United because that was still when he was sort of in his ascendancy. But, um, you know, it was just, like, 
he'd been sort of past it for long enough or felt past it for long enough that it was just like, what's this guy still doing here? And he just, I feel like more so than any of the other players you could say that about, like Dyer was sort of the mascot or the like just embodied that like, God, what's he still doing here? He's not good. He's not like, he's not capable of either playing in the system we want. I'm a little surprised he went to Byron, frankly. Like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't, watch a ton of iron and certainly against like trash lower half Bundesliga teams. I'm sure he's more than adequate, but like I was a little surprised they were willing to take him considering what his form has been like for Spurs. Um, Just you know, trying to keep Kane happy. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it does seem like they're assembling the world's most expensive stag do in Munich, but um, with Kieran Trippier uh, apparently going there as well. I don't know. It's like a very he's. I, I think it's like a lot of players who are on that Pochettino team. You kind of wish they'd left earlier. Not only because Spurs could have made some money off of it, but just like you know, we wouldn't have had such a bad taste in our mouth. Because I think Dyer did enough and meant enough to the club that like you know, I mean, and he will. I think like when we think of Eric Dyer when he comes back to Spurs, like everyone's gonna have very positive memories of him, and it's gonna be a very nice experience for everyone. But like the last two years have been kind of like unpleasant and I wish that and I think I can say this about a lot of guys who are on those Pochettino teams I just wish we hadn't had that I don't want a bad taste in my mouth about that team because it was such a good team it was such a big part of my fandom as a Spurs fan I I just I wish these guys had all exited on better terms if you know what I mean I think to that point is it's like you look at a guy like Ben Davis who has you know overstayed his welcome to the point where he is now welcome again and a big part of that is we've never really had to rely on Ben Davis a lot. And when we do, that's when people start like getting a little sour about his limitations. And, you know, Eric Dyer would have had a kind of comfortable last few years if he could have been that. But like you said about that sort of emblematic of our failures to refresh the squad is he's really a victim of that as much as he is, you know, a, a like totem to it is, if he could have just sort of faded into the background and popped in when necessary over the last few years, like it would have been fine, but we had to use him a lot. And like him and like Davidson Sanchez are guys that like you didn't want to have to use a lot. And it just soured everybody's feelings. Uh, And that's not their fault, but. And you look at Ben Davies and it's like, like you said, we never had to rely on him quite as much, but also like, I think, he never quite hit the heights that Dyer did for us, such as they were. So I think when he comes in and, you know, it's kind of like the expectations are lower. So when it's like, oh, he gave us a, like, what, three, two good months, however long it was playing center back. It's more of like a pleasant surprise. And it's not like with Dyer, it was always like, you always kind of remember what he was like, you know, back in his first, like, you know, three years or whatever it was with Spurs. And it was always a tough comparison, but. I don't know. It's like I'm, I've got weirdly bittersweet feelings about Dyer, but I want to—I don't know—I want to remember him fondly because he was an important part. Like Michael said, he played a lot for Spurs. He was a good, useful player for Spurs, and by all accounts, one of our—you know—we sort of lament like what Lucas Moore was off the field, even accounting for his sort of like, oh, he likes Joe Rogan and David Portnoy. It's like you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is not that bad. Like you know, God knows. God only knows what the baseball players I like are into in their spare time. I mean, you know, it's like, I, but I just wish he'd had a more graceful exit. I wish we'd done this a couple of years ago where it, you know, there weren't so many bad frustrating games where you were like throwing things at the TV or getting 
irritated at him because I think he was good enough for us that he didn't deserve some of the hard feelings he got or engendered. Yeah, I guess to say like one last positive thing about him. We should. I, this has been weirdly negative, and I really didn't think it was going to go you this know, way. I, I, when we look back at like the first Pochettino season where we were playing that Mason Bentaleb midfield, that just was <laughs> horrible. And, you know, we got – I think we finished sixth that year. And I remember Michael and I writing a piece for the site about, like, do we feel at all good about the future of Pochettino era? And it was like – Yes, if he realizes that he needs a defensive midfielder. He needs to solve this problem because if it's not solved, we're going to be just as porous as we were last year. We're not going to be able to control games, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, Eric Dyer and Dembele were the fix. And it's like we went that whole summer without signing anybody, and we were just, like, increasingly anxious, like, oh, my God, he doesn't realize he needs to fix this problem. Pochettino is a fraud. This is going to end so badly. And then, you know, he magicked a solution in the form of Eric Dyer. And, I mean, immediately we became extremely good. Um, almost won the league. I mean, it's, right. it's very good. Yep. You know, and, yeah, like, I think that shouldn't be forgotten because that midfield was a wrecking crew and people were scared to come up against like, I mean, I think Conte at the peak of his powers was like, I do not want to play Spurs. These guys scare me. And, you know, I think that's a pretty good compliment for a guy like Eric Dyer. And, and, you know, again, I always, Ben's going to roll his eyes, but you know, who do you want to be remembered in your shirt when they retire? And Dyer's always going to be remembered in a Spurs shirt. And that's a good thing. It's just right now it's like, I wish this had happened two years ago. <laughs> like, I wish, like, I, I and, and it's not just because he was bad. I just wish some of these, like, feelings of ambivalence and, like, just being tired of him. I wish they weren't there because I think he was, like you said, Ben, he was a better player than that. He wasn't, I mean, like, I, I, I want to compare him to Lucas Moore because Lucas Moore, like, has probably made me more happy than, like, 99% of the athletes that I've watched in my life. But, you know, like, he wasn't a Davidson Sanchez, for instance. He was better than that. He was more important than that. He was more useful than that. Um, and I just, you know, I wish this – I like, Ange has been great, and I think Ange has actually been fairly diplomatic around Dyer, considering how much he clearly doesn't want to use him. But I wish he hadn't had this, like, half season where it's almost comical how much the manager does not rate him. You know, I think he deserved a little better than that. I'm not criticizing how I handled it because I'd rather have him just not use a player that isn't good enough. But, you know, I wish it hadn't happened to Eric. Yep. Yep. But now he gets to go be, you know, afraid of fire in Munich, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, they don't have fire in Germany. We've no. this, is, this has been famously established. Ger- um, Germany <laughs> famous for not having fire at all. <laughs> Michael, yeah, since, you know, this is one of your famous, uh, I don't know bits that you participate in. Who do you think takes over Tottenham Hotspur Movie Club uh, now that Eric Dyer is gone? Who do, who do we think is arranging films about uh, you know magical realist uh, South American cinema now that Eric Dyer has left the club? Exactly. I mean, I mean, Dyer is, is now going to show uh, you know uh, D- Dyer is <laughs> now, now going now gonna to be showing what? Uh, you know, Joshua Kimmich Movies that Joshua Kimmich doesn't understand. I, th- I think. I think. Uh, we, 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 who, who at Spurs now is going to sh- make make their friends watch 
you know, who's going to make, who's going to make everyone watch tar and, and, and no one's going to have a good time. I mean, Brian Heel's going to make everyone watch the fast and the furious movies, but not even the good <laughs> ones. Uh, man, who would, who, I mean, who Vicario... really Spurs is in, is in, is, is going to make their friends watch tar. That's a really good question. Team Vicario over, wants everyone to watch the, the venom movie, obviously. <laughs> So that Tar is probably outside his wheelhouse. I, I think Timo Werner is a guy I, I, who's I, I, uncomfortably in art cinema, where it's like, ooh, I don't, you know, it's like, is this a snuff film, Timo? I don't know. Like, <laughs> should I be watching this? <laughs> ben, you're you're yeah. the you're the one of us who who has like an AMC movie pass. Who do, who do you think is going to be the uh, the big cinephile on Spurs now? It's funny because like the Eric Dyer cinephile thing came basically on the back of Eric Dyer is afraid of fire. Like it was ironic because he was a meathead, but he was strangely like a fairly erudite midfield uh, meathead. Like he did prove to have like kind of refined taste in a way that you wouldn't have expected. And I don't know who captures that sort of paradox. I I do. I do. I think we, we discount it because we don't speak his language. I think it's for Charleston. (laughs) Think about it. He does all this great charity work. He's like definitely a meathead on the pitch. Like he looks like he's afraid of fire. I think that's not like we can't rule that out. That's true. Yeah, yeah I mean pigeon, pigeons and fire usually don't get along. <laughs> like you can't see you you, you can't see. Uh, I I could definitely see Richarlson organizing like a showing of like motorcycle diaries for the entire team. Like I can a hundred percent see that happening. All right, I can run with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Richarlson. Richarlson is our new caveman cinephile on Tottenham Hotspur. Someone someone find his letterbox account is what we're we're telling our (laughs) listeners to do. Heavy lies the crown. This is a lot of responsibility for our pigeon. So we need, this is is our task for our listeners. This is what I want our listeners to do. What do you think Richarlson's top four movies are? So, you know, what, what do we think Richarlson's top four movies are? Like, Bring this to us on Blue Sky. Bring this to us on Twitter. You know, find our secret Facebook page. I don't care. But, like, bring this to us. We want to know what do we think Richarlson's top four is. Like, that—that that is my request to our listeners. So, uh, moving on from our past to our future. God, what a seamless transition. We're so we're so bad. Um, Tottenham have been heavily linked with Antonio Nusa at Club Bruges this week. Uh, really... Uh, an impressive link for Spurs. Not the kind of thing I'm used to seeing us have happen. Um, Michael, I'll start with you because I think we were getting drunk and talking about it in, in a Korean tapas restaurant earlier this week <laughs> or last week. So um, I, I don't know. What, what do you think of this, uh, of this link from Spurs? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big bet, you know, he's 18 and he's a good player in the Belgian league. Like, you know, this is not, Certainly not. He's going to come in and be a contributor this year to a great degree. If he's here, if he's if he is, does sign, if he is at Spurs next season, it's to be like a squad player next year. Like there, there's there's a lot of, of of growth to be had. But the you know he's got every young player skill, every skill that you want to see at a young age when you can trust the other skills will come and fill in around them. Because like if a guy can't take on defenders at 19, they're not going to learn to take on defenders at 24. Like th- that skill doesn't improve over time. You got to come in with it. And and, uh, and shot attempts are, are somewhat similar 
to that as well. There's not as extreme as, as, as take ons, but again, like you want to if you want if, if you want a guy to be taking shots early. And what can improve over time? What does improve over time is the quality of the chances they're they're taking. That that they are you know having a better sense of shot selection. That they're picking. They're getting into better spaces, and then after they take a guy on, making the next pass, completing the pass, retaining retaining possession. Those are all skills that develop over the course of your 20s. So the profile here is really, really, really good because he's got the skills you want to have at this age and room to grow with the others. And I, I think that's just really exciting that we had a one one of the one of the Spurs ITKs who seem to know things said that this comes from Lange's data model. Like, you know, it's kind of funny. Like his data model is like you know table sorting dribbles per ninety and uh, and filtering by under twenty. But you know, the the I, I I can see why this would make sense, and I would be very excited to you know if 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 they do get this over the line. Um. Well, I, ahead, Brian, one of the, Brian, I was going to say, I think one of the things that's exciting about it is, like, this is a player that kind of people in, like, the Spurs community, like, on Twitter and Blue Sky and everything had already kind of, like, looked at with their table sorting and said, like, hey, we, this guy is, would fit the profile of, a, of an Ange winger. And, and now the club is, like, uh, making it happen for us. So, you know, in a way, we all feel like we we contributed. In, in the same way that we, as a podcast, contributed to Pedro Porro signing. So, um, first of all, if anyone from Spurs is listening, it's not too late to pay for tickets for all of us. You can include Michael in this, and we'll get Wendy involved, too. We can all go to, like, Belgium and do a little bit of scouting for you and also get really drunk and eat a lot of chocolate. So, you know, yeah. not too late. If you want to verify and, 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 you know, get the same results you've gotten out of Pedro Porro, I just want to say. Honestly. and But I think the thing that's interesting about this is, you know, kind of a lot of our transfer business in the last, you know, six, eight months um, has really been targeted at lowering the age profile of this squad. Um, you talk about, you know, Van de Ven coming in, Dragushin coming in. Um, and What's that? Valise. I mean, yeah, Valise. Know, I mean, he's not at the same level, but you know, yeah, Vicario. I mean, you know, look, all these guys are younger players, and you know, when it comes to these guys, these 18, 19, 20 year old attackers, like it's always a big swing. Like, like Michael said, you're 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 betting on being able to take the jump in the in your twenties just based off of athleticism or desire to take people on and that sort of stuff. And, and then to develop some of the more rounded skills to their game. And, you know, in the past when we've taken flyers on guys or, or made bets um, on players, it's like these 23 or 24 year old wingers from France who are quick ish, but like there's not much else to go on. And so just like, from an identification and, you know, uh, just actually trying to get this move over the line perspective, like it, it speaks really well of kind of where we're going as a club, like, you know, talented teenagers, um, you know, there's a ton of them across world football, but you know, ones that are playing for their national team, playing in Europe, like there's only so many of those. And for us to be able to, potentially sign one who is also 
on the radar of all these other teams in the same way that we were able to get Dragashin over over Bayern Munich. Like that's really good for us. Like, you know, if if we're signing guys over Bayern Munich or Liverpool or Arsenal, like that's a good sign. Yeah, I think even without like looking at him as a player, you just have to feel good about the way we're targeting players in general. And you know, especially when you marry that with the results of our recent transfer activity, it has just been pretty much hit after hit. Um, it, it just feels remarkable to see us approach this stuff in a very different, grown-up sort of way to you know what we've seen in the past. And like, you know, it's a kind of thing we have been just like screaming about for so long, and you know, for a while, I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. It was just like, we're going to have a manager. They're going to pick their guys. And, you know, you hope they have decent enough talent scouting or like worked with guys who are good enough that that would be enough. And like, that was like kind of all we had to dream on. Um, you know, especially since the sort of twin failures of Ndombele and Los Celso, who looked like the kind of stat focused, you know, transfer policy that just went so catastrophically bad. Um, that it seemed like we might never even consider what a numbers nerd had to say. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is just so refreshing to have professional transfer operations that are not just a guy picking guys. Um, you know, we seem to have a very multifaceted recruitment process of data and scouting and decision makers who are, not the manager, but trusted by the manager and trusted by Levy. And, you know, I think that all feels great. Um, you know, and we talked last week to go to Noosa as a person about like the one thing we were missing is like a kind of big star attacker. And, you know, I think maybe we envisioned a guy who was 24 and ready made and, you know, like already going to come and pull up trees, but, this is the next best thing to doing that. And, you know, in the way we operate in the financial constraints that we are now shrewdly operating within, you know, this is the kind of dream signing to make on that level is like, you know, like I said, you sort it by all these skills, you find the guy, you scout them all, you see who hits um, and who's available. And, you know, this is a very reasonable price tag for a guy who, if he does develop, is going to be a star. And if he doesn't develop is still probably like pretty good. It's not um, going to cripple us. You know, it's like, it's not Brian yeah. heel. It's not like, like Brian heel was a guy who like we signed him. He was young and kind of hot and like could dribble a little bit. And someone probably like recommended him to somebody and they're like, all right, cool. Uh, you know, and meanwhile, all of the people with data at their fingertips were like, this is a bad signing for very clear reasons that we have very clear indicators and like, yeah, it's possible he does new things. Like, like we talked about Udogi and Pedro Poro doing, you know, just completely different things than what they used to do. But like, that's not the bets you should be making. And this feels like the right kind of bet. It's like, it's not a lottery ticket. It's like a well-researched bet. (laughs) I think that's what's so impressive yeah. about Noosa as a target. And again, I don't want to pretend that I've watched anything. More, you know, I, I watch what you guys watch. I watch like the highlight videos set to some fucking trash ass hero, you know, techno. Um, 
But like, you know, certainly like you read the people like, I mean, there's like, you know, you have like the Spurs analysts, like a Nathan A. Clark or whatever. And, you know, they'll put them on their list. But like you read the sort of guys who are paying attention to like hot European prospects, you know, your Mo Squares, your John McKenzie's, those type of people. And they've all been sort of like earmarking news. I want to say for a year or two. Um, and he's the type of guy where I feel like in another environment, like Chelsea's got this guy scooped up, you know, or Madrid even, depending on how like high profile he is. And to see us not only targeting him, but like really getting in there and like getting ahead, of, like stealing a march on these guys, which seems to be this incredible combination of we have a honest to God, like sort of scouting and front office operation functioning now. We have the money that we're willing to sort of like leverage because FFP is kind of fucking everybody else up right now. Like I think absolutely three years ago, a player like Nusa is like on Chelsea's books, you know, and that's before they got like kind of crazy about the way they sign youth players. I think they would, he would have been in their sort of player trading, you know, pyramid scheme. Um, And then, you know, also we have like the drip master rizzing him up. Um, which is just like sealing the deal, which I know that sounds stupid and I'm joking, but I'm also not joking. Like all these things are kind of coming together and you just look at it and you're like, oh my God, are Spurs being well run all of a sudden, you know, after employing Antonio Conte and having a criminal runner operations and having, you know, Jose Mourinho come in to take over from a generational manager. Did we just get really smart within a year? It's just, he's, I mean, exa- he's, he's, he's the perfect kind of target we should be, we should be looking for. You joke about the Riz Master, which is, you know, why, how dare you? Um, but you know, we talk about this a lot with Dragon Machine. Don't forget, he's also the Drip King. We need to, we need to make sure that <laughs> we get all his titles in. It's true, but like, I mean, what he is is like he's like the deal closer, you know. And like with, with Dragon you know, we talked about this, and then all the reporting came out, and he's like, "Yeah, that's exactly what happened." Um, <laughs> You know, and the current ITK, ITK around Nusa is very similar. It is that we have had good conversations with his representatives, and like we are playing that angle and working the player side of things. Um, you know, and like that is there now for for Ange to come in and sell him on the project, and so that when other clubs who are going to be throwing money at him once we do the you know price discovery part of figuring out how much he's going to cost. Uh, we have built those bridges into his camp in a way that will probably get the deal done unless someone goes fucking crazy on him. Um, you know, it is, again, everybody is pulling in the same direction. Everybody has a defined role in this process and it is leveraging the skills that they all have in a very harmonious way. And it doesn't feel real that we have figured out how to do this after, you know, 20 some years of Daniel Levy running things. It is funny. Really funny that that piece, um, there's a little clip from, it must've been fab on a podcast or something that, but explain that this is the way that Tottenham do business. What they do is they have verbal conversations for a while to settle on a price and a contract. And only after that, they send papers over and it's like, what other way (laughs) would you agree on a financial transaction? It's but clearly, just, like, the, the idea of, like, having a structured way of approaching a financial transaction is, like, just blowing world soccer's mind right now. Eric Ten Hag just shows up with, like, a check. Like, just like, Here's your goal. What, what is the problem? Like, a piece of, Russian uh, also, apparently. Folds up a piece of paper, slides it across the table. <laughs> but, it's, but it's at, like, 
his family just going it's, out it, for coffee? It's in what are, Dutch. What are, it, 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 no, what no, are you doing here, sense. Eric Ten Hag? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it is funny because we, we joked about, like, oh, he's a combine guy. Like, you know, like, like Ange is the most college football coach for you can imagine, both in terms of, like, his approach, which is, like, all all gas, no break. Like, I want guys who can run and just, like, fuck shit up in the opposition's third as quickly as possible. Like, that's extremely, like, Southern American football coach or college football coach. And the fact that he is also, like, very clearly good at, like, selling dudes on his project, also extremely Southern American football coach, like... Like I mean, this that's that's what Ange is. He's he's like bringing all these secrets from the SEC to the Premier League. Like, that's what's really happening here. <laughs> he's just going around to, to European high schools, hitting all the five star prospects. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's some British listener who's just like, this is the final straw. This is where, this is where he stopped. I don't know why he hung in for this long, but this is where he stopped listening to Wheeler Dealer Radio. <laughs> I mean, if, if if people are super into English football, like co- college football is the obvious American sport to get into. It's the most similar thing in so many ways there's, to the there's way so that crime. European football there's, there's works. There's so much crime. It's like it's the closest <laughs> you're going to get to UEFA and FIFA in American sports. It's so corrupt. <laughs> uh, getting back to the only Nusa, place they separate the fans. Yes, that's that's true. That's true. Um, they're uh, getting back to Noosa and away from fan violence, um, which I'm hopefully we won't have to get back to anytime soon. Uh, Brian, when you look at a player like him, how much, I mean, obviously we're going to loan him back for the rest of the season, which is smart, but how much do you think a guy like him sort of needs another year or two? Is, well, hopefully not two, but how much do you think, how likely do you think it is we're going to be sending him abroad again next year, assuming we close this deal? I mean, I don't know. I, I think, you know, next year... Um, if we are qualified for the Champions League and competing on, um, you know, three domestic fronts and then, you know, players like, uh, Brian Heal don't exist anymore. There's certainly space and minutes for him. I think the question is, do you prioritize, you know, him getting, I don't know, like 800 to a thousand minutes with Tottenham over, him playing, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 somewhere else on the continent, whether that's back in Belgium or, you know, France or Spain or, or, or wherever that may be. Or maybe it's a, another Premier League club. I don't know. But, like, I, I, it's unclear kind of how Spurs are planning to develop some of these young players. Because basically everybody that we've signed – um, this summer, we've needed in one way or another. Like, Velez, we were told, like, was nowhere near ready to play in the Premier League. And yet he got, you know, a handful of substitute appearances. And so, you know, he he, he hasn't been loaned out because now he's injured. But before, we just, like, needed the body. So, I don't know. I, I, I think it would probably serve him best to play minutes. Um... But I don't know. I mean, it just depends on what the market for a good loan for him is. Like, you know, we've seen, you know, we've sent young players out on on loans that haven't really served them um, in, you know, their development stalls or whatever. And, you know, not every player is a Harry Kane who bounces back from having, you know, two or three bad loans to 
to then, you know, take the steps to becoming a superstar. So I don't know. I think probably he requires additional seasoning, but it's just going to be, be down to the club if they think he's going to be better learning at home, basically, or, or if he's going to be better served by going abroad. I think, and, I, you know, maybe I'm extrapolating too much from this, but, you know, we had the opportunity to send guys like Jamie Donnelly out on loan in January, and Ange decided to keep him close, even though he's not really playing minutes for us. And, like, he could use a loan. I mean, way more so than, than Noosa. Um, but, you know, we made the decision to keep him. And same with Valise. Like, maybe he would have gone on loan in January, um, but... You know, even being far away, we kept him. And I think we're not going to be substantially deeper next year than we are right now, especially if we don't end up buying Timo Werner, you know, and we probably sell Brian Heal. We're going to need bodies. Um, <clears throat> and I, I would suspect Andrew would want to keep him at least through January to see can he contribute, get him learning the system, what's he like, and then you know, we can always loan him for a half season if he just needs minutes, but I would be surprised if he wasn't here to start the season. I want to shift this conversation a little bit, and we talked, we've touched on this a little bit. Michael, I want to start with you on this. Given what we're hearing, admittedly, we're piecing together rumors, we're piecing together reporting, we're piecing together ITK, we're piecing together just transfers. Uh, how are you feeling just like about? how we've structured our recruitment. I mean, I know we talked a lot about how it's all, we're all pulling in the same direction, but just in terms of like Lange in particular, Lang, however we're fucking saying this guy's name, but how we're approaching it, how do you feel about like where we're like, how we're sort of moving in this direction? Yeah. I mean, I th it's, it's still very early. This is the first window that we've had with our director of recruitment, with his head data person, with our director of football, Mun, and wherever exactly he is overseeing all of this. And so, you know, and, and, then, and then the targets that we've had, in particular Dragushin and, and Noosa, are, to a great degree, they are scouting targets. To a great degree, like, you know, Noosa's got a statistical record that is impressive, but it is tiny. Like, you need to have people who are watching him and, and making sense. I think the same is very much true of Dragoshin. And Werner is the one where it's like, oh, we managed to get a perfectly useful, like, hybrid center-forward winger who can get us some shots and play some minutes, and we got him cheap. And, like, that's just sort of, like, really good sort of business targeting. But in many ways, like we still have a fair amount to do in the summer. And I think that exactly how we are planning to what we're planning to do with this forward line. Like I really like the Noosa signing, but he doesn't answer that question. You know, what are we going to do with this forward line where we've got Richarlison who may be good, but may need a move. And we've got son who, how many years we have left to get out of him and do, is the best way to get those years out of him to play him more at center forward or what? And then we've got guys like Kulisevsky, who's like useful, but not taking a step forward. We've got Solomon and Johnson who seem quite limited, but maybe there's some potential there. And like, we're going to have to make some really big decisions there. And, and I think still 
I would think be looking to target some someone more, and, and, and that's all going to have to happen. And so, like, I don't have a... I Right now, everything looks like the sort of thing that you would do if you were a smart team and you were putting together good plans and you were executing them. And in some ways, the execution is particularly impressive. But there's still a lot to be done, I think, to, to get to get this team to the level it, it needs to be next year. Which is fine. I mean, it's one window for these guys. And a guy like Noosa is obviously, you know, you're betting all however we handle him next year. You're, that That is a longer-term signing than you know, exactly. whatever he does next year. You're betting on what he does the year after that and the year after that. Yep. Um, it's still good. But more importantly, Michael, what does this do? What, what, what do you think our new front office means for our ITK situation? Because we all <laughs> so love important. to keep ourselves warm at night in these cold, cold winters by reading, like, insane shit that people make up on message boards. <laughs> I, I do think it's an interesting possibility that – being more professionalized and thus, you know, if your transfer operation is just Daniel and Fabio in a room with two phones, no one's going to know what they're doing. But if your transfer operation involves like committees and involves meetings and involves all the things you do to make professional decision making, like a lot of people are going to know what happened. And then maybe some of them will tell their friends. And I, 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 if I remember correctly, when uh, when uh, Fenway Sports Group and Henry and those folks took over Liverpool, they got in a couple of like very public wars with like bloggers who were sharing information about the team, and they had some weird like people they put in charge of comms who got really mad at ITKs, and and they have really like sealed it up. They, they very, very, very little gets out of there now. And that that could happen in time with Spurs, like they they could decide to make a priority of that. But I do wonder if early on, as you're professionalizing, one thing that happens is that you become you know less effectively secretive. Yeah, a lot more leaks, a lot more guys, a lot more channels for a lot more crystals. Yeah, yep, yep, and and, and <clears throat> plus, uh, Ali Gold putting all that information on the Spurs Journal account. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite fan fiction that uh, we're really getting deep in the weeds here, but one of the more, Michael, why don't you explain it? I don't want to shame myself. Here. Yeah, no, I, let, let, let me talk about it. I yeah, please, please. That's moved from tier two to tier one over the last couple of weeks <laughs> due to the quality of its information. It's like a who weekly you know, for is that, transfer uh, rumors. Alistair Gold is secretly running an ITK account to share all that juicy information that, you know, would be would be lost behind the volume think, of ads at Football London. I, I think it, I find everything about ITK wonderful and the people who choose to make it to, to like do this. Just I, I, I respect them so deeply and calling yourself <laughs> Spurs Journo without a name as an ITK is such an insane thing to do. But it also raises the possibility that it really is a Spurs journo who's <laughs> That'd be such a such an insane artless pseudonym. <laughs> He'll reveal himself. But why would you pick it otherwise? <laughs> it's an insane artless pseudonym, no matter what the underlying. To give thing yourselves is. the illusion of credibility, Michael. Oh, this is oh. not just some guy. This is a Spurs journo. He clearly knows things. He'll reveal himself like a Batman villain. He'll be like, you never suspected me, Bruce Wayne. I was the Spurs journo. 
fast forward I mean, I to think... this summer, it's just Matt Law. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Chelsea psyop. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about ITK is like, there's still a lot of fans who are like just very like dismissive of ITK as a concept, rightly, and like rightly so, but like also wrongly so. Like, I this is a very pro ITK podcast. <laughs> I would say it's it's kind of most of what we talk about for June, July, August, and January. We're just alienating between like the Southern American football, college football thing, and this. We're so many people we're alienating tonight. But most like, people if are. If you in follow today. it closely, which like you again shouldn't do, but like if you do, <laughs> like you can read the tea leaves and see there are places that people get information from. Things do come true in ways that were not previously reported. As, does not look like guesswork. Like it is not crazy that like people who know things talk to people and those people really like clout on the internet. Like that's a very <laughs> like normal <laughs> thing to happen. You right. Know? And, like, and the other, and the other thing is that European soccer teams are much, much more closed to the media than American sports teams. They do not ha- like they, they get, those like those press conferences, mostly with players, are all they get. They do not get to talk to people on the football side, and it is much. And, and then because of that, the football teams really don't like telling journalists anything they're they're doing. Like the normal sourcing mechanisms that most American sports teams have, that then get this news out in reputable channels, mostly don't exist. And there is a huge amount of demand for this information from sickos like us. Right. And I mean, Fabrizio so, Romano is just professionalized ITK. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, all well, it is. Well, I mean, yeah, he talks to agents. He talks to right. agents. Reporting, yeah. is ju- reporting is just professionalized ITK. Like, it's the same thing. Sure, but there's, like, a level of, like, professional standards and reporting that, like, you have to adhere to with information and whatever. Fabrizio has standards of, uh, like, veracity that he adheres to, but, like, in terms yes. of, like, the things that he can the say and will of- say are not... <laughs> Exactly. Not- exactly. Exactly. He, he is what he is. What he is doing on a certain level is because clearly what he does is he aggregates things that other people have said, and then he verifies them. And like, and that verification is is a real thing. And like the ITK that we've got isn't verified, but the fact that that was a viable business model because someone else wasn't doing that. Just, like, find the reports and find out if they're true and then talk about it. Like, this is why there is so much space in the European journal sports journalism area for ITK. And that's why there is information there. You can just ignore it if you want to. Like, no one has to follow transfer before they why would you There's ignore nothing... it? Why would you what? ignore it when you can read weird, cryptic, like, message board posts from people who can't spell? Like... <laughs> Right. But like, yeah, and it's like, it's wrong a lot because people have a friend who knows a piece of a story who's like, yeah, I have a client, Spurs are talking to them, and they go and say, ah, we're signing, you know, somebody, and that's just not remotely the whole picture or, you know, or they're accurate look at the picture that they're looking at, Um, but... You know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying that people don't make shit up, but like, it's not necessarily made up just because it's wrong. And that's what's fun about IDK is figuring out (laughs) how they're wrong, why they're wrong, and what do I mean that they're wrong? 
you know, yeah. look, we got long, well, long summers to fill, and like yeah, this no, is no, a no, fun we have way long to fill. Winters to fill. What's fun about ITK is it's better than doing my job. Like it's, right. it's like oh, it's two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. I'd rather talk about like you know some guy on a Spurs message board is like posting like you know a picture of a duck and like trying to figure out what it means as opposed to like doing what I'm paid to do. I mean, I still remember the the days when ITK was even more cryptic. Like, was it like was it uh, blue and yellow? Was the Phantom of the Land? Yeah, it, <laughs> that was the only thing we got. Like on who we were gonna sign, and we all tried to figure out how it was related to Leandro Damiao. And um, yeah, it, it, you know, at least now with the cryptic references are are a little clearer i think even though the spelling is significantly worse um it's 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 itk is like being into a cw show or like it's like liking like you know like just trash it's like getting your football news from tumblr yeah yeah that's like i don't know what the supernatural gift means but i think (laughs) that we might be signing antonio (laughs) nusa Or the or Antonio Deuce is like kissing his teammates. I'm not sure which it's supposed yeah. to be, but it's one of them. It yeah, very clearly means a thing. <laughs> Why does Antonio Deuce appear to be kissing himself? I, I it must be this. <laughs> this, this, this. This feels true, even if I don't understand what it means. <laughs> it feels true. <laughs> it's gonna take a lot of effort on my part not to title this podcast. Why is Antonio Deuce kissing himself? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> this has got to be the longest that a Spurs podcast is. Well, probably not. Spurs podcast that I listen to is talked about ITK, which you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I apologize, I, I, and you're also welcome. We we don't want to get blocked by Antonio Newsom before he's even signed. <laughs> At least Tom Carroll had been at Spurs for a little while before he blocked us. <laughs> yeah, that that was, and that you know, if you can't tell that that Tom Carroll didn't do cocaine after that. Well, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about something uh, let's talk about something anything else, else. Yeah, <laughs> anything anything else. else you know i'm hearing word on the street from hercules is that spurs are playing manchester city in the fa cup i i don't know if we verified that you know or what tier hercules is these days but um brian how are you feeling about spurs playing city in, in the cup it's always it's not a great draw but also it's a very funny draw so uh, there's a yeah. lot of ways you can go with this yeah, I mean, if you want I to feel... form this your answer in the if you want to put your answer in the form of a cryptic, that is also acceptable. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I feel great about it. Um, City cannot win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, uh, and they cannot score there. So, therefore, if they can't score, they can't win. Um, that's that. Uh, Michael can back me up with the math on that, but I think, <laughs> man, generally speaking, you need to score goals to win games. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, and Holland's not going to play and I mean, nobody else good plays for city. So we'll be totally fine. <laughs> um, but no, I think, you know, in, in all seriousness, I feel okay about this. Like, I think, you know, historically we, we've played really well against city. Um, and you know, 
I think a lot of that though has been in matches where we've been willing to defend more and play more counterattacking football and frustrate them. And that's obviously not how we're going to approach this game. Um, so I don't know, I, but I, I'm reasonably hopeful that we can get a result. Um, you know, we're kind of getting healthier in the back line. Our midfield is still kind of a mess, but I, I don't know. I, I, this is as good as any any draw, and you know, like if we're gonna play a Premier League team, it might as be what might as well be one that we could conceivably beat. I, I think it's very funny how much uh, City fans are miserable about this draw. Yes, they hate it, and like that doesn't really make me feel better. It it is funny. I enjoy that fact, and like you know. Obviously, it would be better to draw someone worse that would increase the chances of winning a, t- a, a trophy, and I would like that. And this is, like, one of the hardest draws we could have gotten. There is a certain take that's like, you know, you're going to win a trophy? You kind of, like, have to beat City. Like, teams that win trophies, they've got to, like, you know, 60 70% of the time, they've, they've, they've got to beat City somewhere along the way. And... If that does happen, like, you know, it's a pretty wide open tournament. There's not a ton of very good teams left in it. So, you know, that's okay. Probably going to lose. Freaking city. But, hey. It would be really funny if we won. Like, it would, incredibly It would be funny. really funny. It, it would be nice if it was – we've had a, we've had one or two in this, in this era where we beat City and we didn't get stomped by City. Like we beat City because we were good, that would be fun. I I I, I would be into that myself. <laughs> like the other one too, though. That'd be funny as hell. <laughs> it's way more fun to beat City when we're shit. It is. <laughs> the Nuno victory against City is probably the funniest victory against City if we're all being honest with ourselves. Yeah, and I mean, you know, at at some point our luck with VAR against City kind of has to turn around on us, right? Like we can't. We can't continue to get the benefit of most of these VAR decisions in these city matches. Like, surely that changes at some point. But unless we do, yeah, unless, unless we, do. we do, and then it, and then we've got you know we're playing twelve on eleven. Then guys, and <laughs> it's important. Uh, yeah, I'm not worried. I think I mean we're gonna smash them, but that's fine. <laughs> Totally fine. I mean, look, if this is the worst draw we could have gotten, but it's also the worst draw City could have gotten, and that makes us even. <laughs> and we're <laughs> at home at a place that they can't play. You know, the big the big concern is we don't have Sonny, and Sonny is Man City's kryptonite, and like specifically, I think more than, than even Spurs or Elaine. Uh, so that's going to hurt. But... You know, I think this would be a great time for Timo Werner to like score a hat trick. <laughs> that would be very Honestly, funny. Honestly, <laughs> can you think of something that'd be funnier? That you yeah, know, Timo Werner scoring the game-winning goal against Chelsea in the FA Cup final, like that would be much funnier. <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, he could do both. Yeah, he could. He could. Short. There is there is something, and it'll be true regardless of how this match goes. There is something deeply amusing to me about how. City have the best coach in the history of football with unlimited resources at his disposal. And we're somehow his bogey team. (laughs) Like we are somehow like the most, it's like us and like Mourinho's Real Madrid are the two teams that have probably given him the most fits throughout his entire career. 
at across like how many terrible managers have we done this? It's really an impressive <laughs> achievement, like what we managed to put together over the last like you know six or seven years. Yeah, it would really just like be a real stain on Ange's reputation if he's the guy who blows it. If like Nuno can do it, <laughs> he's already <laughs> stolen points off of them. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I just it's. Every time we play them, it's at least somewhat humorous for us. So, just hoping for more of that. Yeah, I'd really like to win this one. I mean, it's just, especially with, like, Harry Kane at Bayern maybe not winning something this year. Like, us winning the FA Cup the same year that happens would be deeply, deeply. That's not why we should win the FA Cup. We should win the FA Cup because we desperately want a trophy. But also, that would be really, <laughs> really, really funny. I mean, when have we ever done anything not for the banter? You know, like we're <laughs> never works out yeah. when we don't. Um, we have one or two questions. We've got this has gone on a while, but you know that's okay because we got Michael back, so that's fine. Um, we have a few questions I want to get to. Uh, we've kind of addressed a few, not by name, but I, I brought up a few as the podcast went on. But I want to start with one from Twitter. Uh, this comes from Ken at Astro Bowl sixty seven. He wants to know. What is sort of the lowest tier of of Spurs player that Harry Kane could get to Bayern as he channels his inner LeBron GM? Like, what, 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 how low do you think Harry Kane could get? And so I think this has to cover both who would Harry Kane want at Bayern and who is sort of like the worst player that he could get there from his time at Spurs. Matt Doherty. <laughs> no hesitation love it Brian. thank you <laughs> no that is but that's that's one of his other buddies and one of eric dyer's buddies and like i mean you know he played at atletico madrid um i guess <laughs> once yeah <laughs> that one time so you know he's he's pr- he's proven that he can go play on the continent and he's uh you know why why not yeah. that's not gonna mess up trips his stag do no, it'll be fine. They, they, you know, and look, like they, they can just rotate. Like so, Trippier plays on the right wing or you know right fullback for the first sixty minutes, and then Doherty comes on in the last thirty minutes to run at tired legs, get in the box. It's perfect. They're not there to play. Is like the other thing. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, no, they're there to play <laughs> golf. <laughs> they're there to convince Dave Portnoy to switch his allegiances to Bayern Munich. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I don't know. Getting him to follow something popular in Germany doesn't seem like that difficult a task. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know who else would be on that list. Like, Harry Winks, Tom Carroll. I would have said Dyer before it happened. Um, that Ryan Mason. My, my Can we get Ryan Mason a job at Bayern no, Munich? No, no, he's our he's our new set pieces coach, man. Oh, that's, that's right. That's right. He's actually a good coach now. I forgot. I keep forgetting. <laughs> don't don't let tactics, Tom, steal our set pieces. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the world in which Tuchel needs Ryan Mason to improve his team, and how funny all of that is. Um, next... that, that is another level of, uh, of, of, of English Premier League pilled. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think he's right. Like, clearly, I think it was uh, Grace Robertson who said on Twitter, she made the great joke that, like, Tugel clearly believes in the Bundesliga attacks and thinks all these guys are frauds, which I agree with. But 
I think he could probably go for a better class of Premier Leaguer. You know, I, I mean, Kane is the idea, but like, like I don't know, Dyer and Trippier seem a little like, I think you could aim a little bit higher there, my guy. Yeah, we like why didn't he sign to... Harry Maguire? I, I, I don't know if that's up or down. That's probably down. but like It's probably sure. up from Eric Dyer. I mean, it's Germany. Like, who cares? Don't man you like Maguire again? Didn't that's that happen? Uh, I can't remember. And then he got hurt? Yeah, but their next manager in two months will hate him, so, like, you know. Hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, maybe Brian Hill could do a job. I don't think Harry Kane has any special affection for Brian Hill, but, like, it's I not. Don't know. It's worth like, kicking the tires. Brian Hill's really, I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures from his vacation in Miami this week. Like, he's really developed the dirtbag drug dealer aesthetic. So, like, if Harry Kane's really into ecstasy, that might happen. Well, then he should just be he staying is. in Miami, really, honestly. <laughs> Well, he's just developing his connects, right, Brian? Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Like, you know, spend some time at Inter Miami with Luis Suarez and Lionel Messi. Yeah, yeah, that's that's who he's spending time with in Miami. <laughs> well, you know, by association. He's not he's not he's not hanging out on ski lifts. That's not what he's doing in Miami, Brian. I mean, what else would you do? But all right. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Um <laughs> true. Our next question uh comes from um Opus Sosny. I'm sorry, I know this is Polish and he's I think it's Polish, but he's told me how to pronounce it before, and I can't do it. So, anyway, he wants to know, uh, do you think Enoch should return to the multi-club ownership model, which they had to abandon years ago? Um, and if they do, who should we target to buy? Um, ben, I'll start with you on this one. I mean, we should because it's, like, obviously, like, a great hack for the way football works, but it also is, like, really gross to turn – some like sporting institution into your feeder club. So like, I'm not mad if we don't dabble in those waters. Um, but yeah, it would be a better way of running a, a football operation. Um, if you could set up little, little feeder shops all around various tiers of European football. Yep. I mean, and I think they should obviously target places that we'd like to go on vacation to. Yes. That a hundred, a hundred percent. So I think major cities and and like vacation spots like that 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 Lake Como team that uh, <laughs> who who was it was, it was uh, Fabregas who, who like ended his career yes. there yeah isn't he managing <laughs> them now? The, whatever he wants he goes to the <laughs> beach like there, there's there's got to be some nice places to visit that we could uh, we could pick up a team here or there. Cadiz I think we should buy them that sounds like a great idea. Think of all the guys we could go scout there you know. Yeah, I mean, why do we go to some games? Who knows? Try to buy Ajax. I mean, we already. Yeah, I go, kind of, I go to him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We kind of yeah. already own them, but like we could make it like formal. Um, <laughs> I suppose. Although I don't. Right, know. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one, Brian. Yeah. No. Um. What are some other good touristy destinations? I mean, you know, we should probably pick up a Croatian club. Seems like we've got some uh, some business. Maybe we can get split. Um, and that would be, you know, uh, um, Perisic can help us with the negotiations. That'd be good. I mean, um, Chelsea's are trying to buy sporting. We can all vouch for what a productive and useful business trip that is. So, yeah, I've, you know, like buy a team in Lisbon. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. So yes, the answer is yes. So we can have excuses to go on vacation. In Europe. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the true answer here. And then with that, I think it's time. I don't think it's going to get better than that. So we're going to wrap it up there. Michael, we'll start with you. Where can people find you on the internet? I think there's a new place to find you on the internet. 
there sure is. I have started a newsletter. If you are one of the people who remembers back when we used to post on a we- on a website called Cartilage Free Captain, you know, some some decade ago, like God. what I started doing was I was doing studies of football. I was trying to answer basic questions about the game and the statistics of the game and understanding it. And there wasn't like a place for me to do that over the last years. And I've realized that the sort of newsletter economy makes it possible. So I'm going to be doing monthly studies with some like other discussions, but every month there's going to be some big study of a topic that I'm going to put together. And that is at expectinggoals.com. You can go and see the, see, see the free thing in the newsletter. Um, if you do listen to my other podcast, Double Pivot, you can also there sign up for the newsletter as well. If you're like, uh, you know, super sicko subscriber, you can get a discount on the Expecting Goals newsletter. So yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. And hopefully for the next like, you know, couple years, I guess, maybe writing these newsletters. I'm excited about it. So I uh, would love it if anyone wants to check it out. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. That What's my Twitter? Uh, comrade, you Spurs. Already and, selling out the movement. Can't well, even remember. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Michael so, was talking a long time about newsletters. I was like, I don't have a newsletter. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your, Michael Mann, start... your, your Michael Mann newsletter is still in the works, right, Ben? That's right. He needs to make more movies for that to be a real productive endeavor. No, no, look, look, I'll help you out. We'll just write about Audio Slave and, you know, Mogwai every other week or something like that. So Perfect. Our, <laughs> our newsletter just about his Miami Vice movie in 2006. Like, how long can we keep that ball rolling? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, retweeting questionable tweets about 2006's Miami Vice movie um, at Skipjack0079. You can find me on Blue Sky, just plain old Skipjack. You can find our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. That's on Twitter. And that's about it uh, for Brian, for Ben, for Michael, and, of course, for Brett Rainbow. I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.